I titled this morning's message, His Mercies Are Great Towards Us. I uh, actually, I taught this study uh, back on May 5th of 2007. It was actually the very first Sunday morning when we went into uh, a new meeting place, a new building in, in Calvary Chapel, Swansea. And this was the first message that I had taught on that, uh, that Sunday morning. It's a great psalm. It's a psalm for all of us here uh, that maybe we're in a place in our walk with Jesus Christ that maybe we need a little bit of revival. Maybe our hearts need to be brought back, back closer to where we're actually able to worship God, praise God with our whole heart. I think that there are times as believers that we find ourselves getting into a rut. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It's happened to me. We find ourselves in a rut. We kind of lose a little bit of that zeal and a little bit of that passion that we once had. And we need that revival of a heart. And and revival doesn't just happen. We don't put it out to the whole church. We're having a, a revival Sunday. Revival can happen in each individual heart this morning that is receptive towards God. God, I need a revival in my heart. And God will bless you in that if, you, if that's your heart's desire. When we look at Psalm 103, uh, one thing that you'll notice as you look at it here is that it's, a, uh, it's got 22 verses. Now, there's actually 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so the, the psalmist, which I believe is David here, is writing this psalm. It's got really 22 things that we can look at this morning. The psalm is referred to as an envelope psalm. Uh, If you look at it, you'll notice that it starts out with, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then it finishes with those same words, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so whenever you see that happen, everything in between those two things, there's the content, there's the subject of why we would want to bless the Lord with all of our soul, everything that's within us. We see that David here really starts out with, in a sense, exhorting himself that he would bless God, that he would bless the Lord, that he would have this thankfulness and this praise and this worship within his own heart. And then he also exhorts us. I think that as believers, we easily forget. We need to be brought back to remembrance. How many times have you been brought back to the remembrance of the great salvation that you have? God brought you back. It was a renewed remembrance and it thrilled your heart. But sometimes those lengths of time go on for a while. It's been a long time since since I've really just, with my whole heart, just laid it out before God. God, I'm so thankful. I worship you. I praise you. This psalm is about remembrance. It's about worship. It's about praise. 
But we find that in the Old Testament here, in the, in the Psalms. What about the New Testament? Where, where do we find this exhortation to bless our God for the blessings that he's given us? Well, one place, and there's others, but one place we find it is in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. Apostle Paul wrote this in verse 3. He really gave us a list a list of reasons why we should bless the Lord. Turn in your Bibles there if you're not already there, Ephesians chapter 1, so that you can follow along. Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Did you just get what that said? He has blessed you, if you know him as your Lord and Savior, with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. In other words, God doesn't say, I'm going to give this blessing to you and this one to you and this one to you and kind of delve them out to each one of us differently. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Notice those words, in Christ. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You either know him as your Lord and Savior or you don't. God makes it very black and white. But the blessings are for those that are in Christ. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God chose you before the very founder, before he even created the heavens and the earth. He already knew you, and he chose you. That should cause some rejoicing in your heart. He also, we're told in verse 5, having predestined us to adoption. God adopted you as sons and daughters. We're adopted into this family of God by Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God just simply says, I chose you out. I predestined you. You're my child. Lord, I bless you. I praise you. I worship you for that. You saved me. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And then he goes on, Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood. We sang about that. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. You all have one, that inheritance. It's, all way, it's not going to be defiled. It's in heaven waiting for you. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel, the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, the day you accepted Christ, he sealed you. He took his stamp, so to speak, and stamped it on your life by his Holy Spirit and said, you're mine. You're all mine. The Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. If that same Spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, He will also raise up your body by His Spirit that dwells in you. If you have Christ's Spirit dwelling, He's standing, you're His. The redemption, it says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, and then it says, to the praise of his glory. We we see that four times, four times in what Paul just says, to bless the Lord, to the praise of his glory. All of these benefits that have been given to you and I. We need to be brought back. We need to come back and remember these things. So that really... The praise from our lips, the worship of our Lord, will, will easily just flow off of our lips. This is a psalm, really, I believe, to renew our passion. To renew you. To renew the praise and the, and the worshipful hearts that we really should all have. It, that personal revival... We start out in verse 1, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, David says. And look what he says after that. And all that is within me. We could underline that. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Not just half. Have you ever really just sat before the Lord and you could sense it? You only give him a quarter, a half, three quarter, you know, whatever it might be. You weren't giving him your all. It wasn't everything that was within you. It was just part of you. I think it happens to all of us. We might be thinking about what we're going to have for lunch today. Instead of really setting our hearts upon the Lord. Bless God with everything that is within us. And and that's not just what comes out of our lungs and what comes off of our lips as we're singing songs here. That's part of it. But that's not all God desires. That's not all he wants. He wants us to bless him with our minds. The faculties of our mind, our, our, our thinking. He wants us to, to zero in on him. Not be tuned out, but to actually focus in on him. Blessing him with our minds, our faculties. Blessing him with our whole heart. Blessing him with our understanding. You know, as we're singing even these songs, even within these songs, do we think about the things that we're saying? Our understand what does that what did that one line just say to me? We can think that way even as worship is going on. With all of our affection, everything within us. 
praising him for his grace. When is the last time that you praise God for his grace in your life? For his mercy in your life? When's the last time you praised him for the hope that you possess? For the love, and we, we sang about that in the, in the song, uh, uh, the love that you have that God is in. When's the last time you just lifted up a worshipful heart before the Lord, praising him for his great love for you? His mercy, his power, how powerful God is. The works of his creation, as you go out and just look. Have you ever gone out and just stood outside and looked up? If it was, you could see the stars, you see the creation. God, you're, you're, you're amazing. Look what you've done. Look at the handiwork. It should cause our hearts to worship. Somehow or another, we just think, yeah, it's always been there. You know, and we just fall into this lull. God's holiness. He's high and lifted up. It should cause us to fall to our faces and worship him. His righteousness, his steadfastness in your life. He's unchangeable. All of these are attributes of God, things about his character, his judgment, his worthiness, everything that should cause our hearts with our whole heart to say, God, I worship you. How many of you know the song coming back to the heart of worship I think who is that Michael W. Smith that sings I don't don't even know who sings that one but coming back to the heart of worship this is the lyrics to it when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And then the Course says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I've sang that song a lot of times. And the times that I sing it, it, you know, if I can sit there and it not be a little bit convicting to sing those words, (laughs) something's kind of going cold. Because we know that we need to be brought back all the time. Look what David does in verse 2 in your Bibles. He says it again. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why would he say it twice? I think he's saying it because it's of importance. And notice that he's saying, my soul. David's personalizing it here. My soul. And then he adds to that. And forget not all of his benefits. Now he adds, and forget not all of his benefits. All of those things that he has blessed you with. Why does he say forget not? Because we're people that forget. We forget quite often a lot of things. 
Not just things for the Lord. We just, we're forgetful people. And the older you get, you'll forget even more. But we're forgetful. God often instructed the children of Israel whenever he did something great, he instructed them to build altars of remembrance. He did it for a purpose. He wanted them to, every time they passed through the land, every time they went that course again, to see that altar of remembrance there, that it would be brought back again. You read all the way in the New Testament, you read through the Old Testament. Time and time again, the prophets and those who were speaking on behalf of God were saying, you need to remember, you need to come back to what God did for you here. We need to have the same. Every time we set up that communion table, it's an altar of remembrance. God, bring me back to what you did for me there. Why did the Lord tell us to do that until we're in heaven with him? Because we'll forget. We're forgetful people. David says, forget not all of his benefits. I looked up, how many promises are in the Bible? Now, I didn't double-check this guy's figures, but here's the number that he gives, right? He gives a number of 3,573 promises. Now, there could be a lot more than that, but this is the number he came up with. But here's what struck me even greater than the number. There's a lot of promises in God's Word. But even more important than how many promises there are is how many of them do we believe? That's a bigger question, isn't it? We might want to sit down and calculate that all out. But how many do I believe? Maybe if we just believe 10 of them with our whole heart, we'd be further along than what we are today. Because, you see, believing God at his word, believing his promises that he has given to you, it's vital. And when we doubt those promises and when we question God's care for us and all of these things that... The enemy wants to sow into our minds and our hearts. Uh, We don't so easily have praise and worship and blessing the Lord flowing off of our lips, do we? As a matter of fact, we're thinking, no, God, what have you, why won't you answer this, Lord? Why won't you take care? Why am I going down this road again? Why, you know, and that's not praise and worship. It's very, I think, important for us as believers to not forget these benefits, these blessings that God has already bestowed upon you. It's not like he's telling you to work for it, and then I'll bless you. I've already done it for you. You need to grab on. You need to take hold of it. You need to say, Lord, help my unbelief that I might believe you for greater things today than I ever have. But look what David does. He goes on in verse 3. And we could say that he's going to give us a list. He gives us really only five. Five benefits of why we should bless the Lord. We could count them on one hand. Each finger for each one. Look what he says in verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquities? Is that some of them or all of them? He forgives all of your iniquities, past, present, and future. The day you gave your life to Christ, all your sins were covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, even your future sins. 
incredible, worthy of our worship. David, in a sense, is saying to us here, and God really is saying it to us here, don't forget this. Don't forget that I have forgiven you of all of your iniquities, all of your lawlessness, all of your wickedness, all of those past sins, I have forgiven them all. Don't forget this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul wrote this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God's grace. God saved you. You didn't have to work for it. He simply gave it to you freely as a gift. That's worthy of blessing the Lord. 1 John 1, 9, if you will confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, even future. His blood continues to cleanse you from all sin. He didn't just do your past. He's going to take care of your sin today. As we come with repentive hearts, admitting our shortcomings and failures before God, God says, I want to forgive you. Just as our own children that come up to us and say, Mommy, Dad, will you forgive me? Yes, I will. How about if they don't? Well, we still have love and compassion toward them. And we're longing for them to come with those repentive hearts. God has the same desire towards us. Look what he says in three, the second part of three, who heals all of our diseases. I I like the word all. In most cases, the word all is a good word. It, It encompasses all, all of it. He heals all your diseases. David's saying, Don't forget this. That's number two. Don't forget this. God heals all of your disease. God heals. I believe God heals physically today. God wants to touch us. God does want to heal. Sometimes he heals. Sometimes he allows us to go through these times without touching us physically. And we, God strengthens us and gives us what we need to endure. But I believe in context here that David is speaking, too, about even the spiritual part of man. He heals all of your diseases. We read in Isaiah 53, verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. When Jesus went to that cross, he made the provision so that you could be healed of your diseases, of your sin. We read in Isaiah 33, verse 24, And the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. Philippians 1.6, Paul wrote, being confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Be assured of this, church, that the work that God started in your life, he's not like we are. You know, we start a project and we don't finish it. We start a project, we might get to it. 
you know, to finish it up. God starts a project, he will finish it, guaranteed. That is worthy of us saying, bless the Lord. Bless you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Look at number, uh, verse 4. He redeems your life from destruction. That's worthy of blessing the Lord. Uh, David saying again, don't forget this. He redeems your life from destruction. He purchased your life. Joe shared it with the blood of Christ in worship this morning. He purchased us. He redeemed us from a life of destruction, a life that was worthy of hell, separation from God. He redeemed you. He bought you back with his his precious blood. John 3.36 tells us this. It's really a verse that should really make us go, Lord, help me to tell people about you. He who believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's a sobering verse, isn't it? The wrath of God abides. He redeems your life from destruction. He redeems us from the pit of hell. We're also told, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. David once again says, don't forget this. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. It's the goodness of God, we're told in in Scripture, that leads us to repentance. Have you ever sat before the Lord and really been able to focus on Him and set your heart upon Him, and it actually brought you to repentance? It actually brought you to the place where God started bringing to the surface some things that you knew you needed to get right. And it was all as you were thinking about how good God is, how patient He is, how loving He is, how faithful He is. And the list just goes on and on. And as you contemplated this goodness of God, which encompasses everything about the character of God, inside you're thinking, you know what, God, your loving kindness is so good towards me. And it just causes me to say, Lord, forgive me. The most beautiful word in the Christian language, repentance, forgiveness of sins. In Titus 3, 5, Paul wrote, not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's not your works. It's not the things that you've done. But he goes on to say, but it's according to God's mercy. For by grace you are saved. Here Paul says, it's by his mercy that he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That should cause rejoicing and praise in our hearts towards God. Just, just that alone. 
what he has done. Incredible. We read in the book of Lamentations in chapter 3, verse 23, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Think on that for a moment. Through the Lord's mercies, you're not consumed. Consumed by what? We deserve hell. We deserve separation. And by his mercies, you're not consumed. Because his compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, it says. (laughs) It's like, oh, God, great is your faithfulness. That I'm not consumed. Your mercies are new every morning. How much mercy did you need this last week? How much grace did you need in your life? Today. Just today. Just to get out of bed. To make it here. How much grace did it did you need just to make it here? That's God's grace. It's his enabling grace. He enables us to keep going on, to not give up. His enabling grace, it's worthy of our praise and our worship. Verse 5 says that he satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David says, don't forget this. Because God satisfies. Let me ask you a question, though. Are you this morning satisfied? Are you satisfied with things in life? Has God satisfied every desire could you just say this morning God you satisfy my every need you're all that I need God I don't want to forget I don't want to put my eyes on all these but Lord you satisfy I'm trying to find it sometimes in other but Lord you satisfy Psalm 126 Verse 1, the psalmist wrote, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, Israel in bondage, we were like those who dream. It's like a dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. The Lord has done great things for Israel. When you look at Israel and you look at the nation of Israel, the great things and the patience and the love and the care that God has for Israel, he's done great things for Israel. But he's also done great things for you. When you look at the nation of Israel and the great things God has done, it should be a reminder to you of the great things that he has done for you. And we should be glad. We should be rejoicing. Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a promise. To mount up like an eagle. Wings like an eagle. Not growing weary. Not growing faint. Not giving up. If you want to be renewed in strength, come before the Lord and say, God, I need a fresh renewal in my life. Renew me. Revive me. Let me mount up with wings like eagles. The Lord is righteous. He's merciful. And he's gracious towards you. Towards me. But look at verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Don't ever be deceived that the ungodly in this world are ever going to get away with anything. Don't ever think that what the atrocities that are going on in our world, ISIS and all the things that are going on in our world right now, don't ever think that they're going to get away with it that it's going to go unnoticed, that the righteous God of heaven is not going to deal with that on that day. The Lord executes righteousness. That should cause our hearts to well up with, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Injustice for all who are oppressed. God looks down on this earth and He sees those who are oppressed. And He's the righteous judge. And God will judge them righteously. The Egyptians, they oppressed God's people. And Christians are oppressed all over this world. More today than any any other time in history. Being oppressed. But we go on to read in verse 7, look what he says. He made known his ways to Moses, the deliverer of Israel. His acts to the children of Israel, he made that known. We read about it in our word. All the Old Testament saints, they look back to their deliverer Moses. They look back to the incredible deliverance of God from Egypt and all that God had done. But you know what? Moses learned He learns something of the character and the nature of God. We need to learn the character and the nature of God. We need to know him in a greater way. We need to really know him. Isn't that great when we get to know somebody? When you're you're married, you should be getting to know your spouse. I think I know him better than anybody. You know, that should be the way it is. We should know one another. We should know our Savior. We should know the God in heaven. We should know things about his character and his nature, who he really is. He gave his commandments to Moses, didn't he? He gave his statutes and his ordinances so that he could tell the children of Israel how they should walk. He gave all those things to Moses. This was the deliverer of Israel. God chose Moses out for that task. But then he goes on in verse 8. David says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. 
He's slow to anger and he's abounding in mercy. Do you know that about the character of God? Do you know that he is a merciful God towards even people in this world that you would think, oh, I have no mercy towards them. I can't, you know, but God is merciful towards them. We can't make God who we want him to be. God is who he is. And we we don't just make him out to be the God we want him to be and put him into our box. God is merciful and he is gracious towards those that even are rebelling against him. He's slow to anger. And he's very patient, isn't he? He's patient with us and he's even patient with his world. He's not willing that anyone would perish but that all would come to repentance. That's the heart of our Lord. We need to know that about the very nature of God. He's abounding in mercy. Notice it's the word abounding. It's not that he's just mercy. He's abounding in mercy. His grace floods over your sin. That's the God we serve. That's the one who's worthy of our worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God made himself known to Moses. He showed Moses and his people how merciful and how gracious he is. Why? So that we would know something about him. So that we would look back and ourselves even and look back on all of that and go, God, you're so gracious. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11 if you want to know how gracious our Lord is towards Israel. How merciful he is. He's patient and he's slow to anger. The Lord is not only slow to anger, but he abounds in this mercy. You'll see that all the way through this psalm. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. I deserve judgment. I deserve a penalty for my sin. And God doesn't put that upon me. He's forgiven me. He's merciful towards me. Look at verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. All of these things are just speaking of the nature of God. But we also need to be careful that we never misrepresent God's character, his nature. You know how we can misrepresent his character and nature? You can speak about God to somebody else in a manner that that's not who he really is. Moses fell to that danger when he struck the rock. He misrepresented God before the people, and God says, you're not going in. Uh, We cannot misrepresent God. So how do we not misrepresent him? We need to know him. We need to know him through his word. So that the things that I say of my Lord, the things that I communicate to other people, would not misrepresent him. The prophet Micah, in chapter uh, 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. 
God is not up there with a rod, a stick, and just wanting to beat you up every time. And, you know, God is merciful. He wants to say he must judge sin. He has to deal with sin. He can't bypass it. He will one day righteously judge it, but he's merciful. Verse 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Oh, according to our sins, he hasn't dealt with us according to our sin. What you really deserved and otherwise. What you really deserved, he didn't give to you. Nor will he keep his anger, excuse me, nor punish us according to our iniquities. He won't even punish us according to our iniquities. If he did, we'd all be running out of here scared. For us as believers to sit here knowing that we have been redeemed. That his mercy and grace is upon our life. That that it enables us to know that, you know what, he's a God that is slow to anger. He's compassionate towards me. His love is unfailing towards me. He doesn't want to punish me for the iniquities in my sin that I do and give me just due for it. He did that for me for you when he hung on that cross he took the penalty that was due to you and took it upon himself so that he would not have to impart to you the penalty that was due he had to in Ezra 9 5 we read at the evening of sacrifice I arose from my fasting and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and I spread out my hands to the Lord my God in prayer. And then it goes on to say in verse 13, And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you are a God, uh, since... Since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Isn't that great? You have punished us less than our iniquities deserve. And have given us such deliverance as this. Shall we again break your commandments and join in marriage with people committing these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us? so that there would be no remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for you are left as a remnant. As it is this day, here we are before you in our guilt, that no one can stand before you because of this. Isn't that incredible? That we can actually worship God this morning and lift up our hearts, and God says, I receive it. But if we looked at our sin and our failures and our Isaiah, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. That should be our hearts before the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, we read, the writer wrote, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Sons and daughters, children of God. He says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Have you had one of those this week? 
been chastened by the Lord? Have you ever been spiritually spanked by God? Where God had to deal with you as we do with our children when we want them to learn? He goes on to say, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Why? Because he loves you. He loves me. And he's going to deal with us as we do with our own children and actually in a more pure way than we do with our own children. Proverbs 3.12, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? He's quoting Proverbs. Psalm 130, in Psalm 130 we read, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If, Lord, you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? It'd be like if that was the whiteboard. And God was standing here looking at your individual life and he walked up there with a permanent marker and started just putting a little mark every time you messed up. And you just saw that whole screen up there just filling up with these marks of your sin. You'd just be sitting there, God, if you should mark iniquity, who would even be able to stand before you? See, God wants us not to forget to come back to that place of remembrance from where we have fallen or come from. Lord, you have redeemed me. But it goes on to say in Psalm 130, but there is forgiveness with you. If you should mark iniquity, who would be able to stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. That's the God we serve. Verse 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. How great is God's mercy towards you? Uh, The heavens. Uh, It's a way of just saying how great, how magnificent is God's mercy towards you. The distance from the earth to the heavens, uh, infathomable amount of mercy that God has towards you towards those who fear him. Infinite mercy to those who fear him. What's the opposite of fear? The opposite of fear, to me, is no fear. You ever seen those t-shirts? Those bumper stickers? All the things that are out there? No fear. To me, it's almost like a slap to me in God's face. No fear. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah, you know what? I just die, you know, no fear. To those who have no fear of God, there will come that day where they will stand before God. But as a believer, we should have this reverence, this awe. 
of who's on his throne in heaven. So great is his mercy towards those who fear him. I have a reverence for God, a fear and an awe of who he is. I don't run from him when he convicts me of my sin. I want to run to him. And that's what he wants us to do. But look what else he says in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And so as you travel around the globe going this, it just keeps going, doesn't it? That's the way of describing really how great his mercy is towards us and his forgiveness of our sin. As the father, verse 13, pities his children, Get the picture in your mind. As a father pities and loves his child, wants to see his his child grow up and be a good young man that's just, you know, you have this desire towards your children. That's your heavenly father towards you. As a father pities his children, he pities you. So the Lord pities those who fear him. He has this mercy and grace towards you. Notice that his mercy and forgiveness and love, they're all likened to an earthly father. He's given us something to grab onto. But he's called our heavenly father, isn't he? He's called our heavenly father, and he deals with us in that same way. David says, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Don't forget that. For he knows our frame, verse 14. He's basically saying, I know how brittle you are. I know how brittle you are as people, God says. He knows that you're just an earthen vessel. He knows you're just like a pot of clay that's easily broken. He knows how far you can be tested. He knows how weak your flesh is. He knows what you can bear and what you would not be able to bear. And he also knows that you're prone to sin. He knows everything about us. He knows our frame. That should cause us as believers to go, Thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. Oh, my soul. Because you know me. You know I'm just dust. He says, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, he says, his days are like grass. Those of us that have a lawn, my springtime came, my lawn was looking pretty good, green. Now we haven't had much rain for the last... It's all turning brown. It's going away, isn't it? It's that quick. As for man, his days are like grass. It's here and looking good one day and it's gone. As flowers of the field, so he flourishes. And you know, you see those wild, you know, blowing out there and then you get a wind, verse 7, for the wind passes over and then it's gone. It's a beautiful flower. All it takes is a nice big wind, you know, tearing them all up, drying them all out. They're all withered up. 
We're just, he knows our frame. He knows that we're just dust. We're like the grass. We're just flowers that flourish and then they're gone. And its place remembers it no more. Have you ever seen that? You have a whole beautiful thing of flowers out there and when they die out and they all shrivel in the ground, they're, no, they're gone, nothing there. That's the way it is in life, isn't it? We live till whatever age we are, and then we have the dash in between our years, and that's it. It's all done. David says, just like the beautiful wildflowers that grow and flourish, and then comes the wind, you also are very fragile. And you and we just stand before the Lord and say, Lord, pour out your mercy upon me. I need your grace today, Lord. And now we come to a but. Look at verse 17. This is a good but. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. There's that word mercy again. On those who what? Those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. He loves it when we desire to keep his word. Not just the Ten Commandments. Have you ever been one of those that said, you know, you thought God was pleased with you because you thought you were keeping the Ten Commandments? God said, it's not enough. No, I want you to keep my whole word. And, and not just the Ten Commandments. And people try that one on God all the time. It's their lack of understanding. 1 John 2.3 says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, went from commandments to word. Okay, we're talking about the whole word of God. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know that we are in him. Do you have a desire to follow God's word, be obedient to his word at all? that's a very good indicator that you're a child of God. If you have no care at all, I could care less what this book says, what, you know, I would say question yourself because a true child of God desires to be obedient. doesn't mean that we always will be because then we'd be sinless. But do we have the desire and do we take the steps to do God's word? God, help me to live your word out. Not just to be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. We're almost done. The Lord has established, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. This reminds us of John's vision that we saw when we went through the book of Revelation in chapter 4 and chapter 5 that throne room of, of God that John saw. Uh, Jesus sitting on the throne. His heaven is his throne. 
never forget that Jesus is there on his throne. We lose sight of that sometimes. Where is he? Look at the map. Look at the stuff going on in the world today. Where is God in all of this? He's on his throne. He's there and he is going to execute his righteousness in his due time. But he's never left his throne. He's still on his throne. And as a matter of fact, we're told in Scripture that someday every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday every knee is going to bow. Whether they want to bow or not, they will bow. And they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No one's going to be able to press their way in and go, you know what, God, no. No, God says you will bow. And then David comes back to this whole thing that he started with of blessing the Lord. Look at verse 20 to 22. Bless the Lord, you his angels. These are God's created beings. Angels. David's saying, bless the Lord, you his angels. God's created beings. He's saying, for them, bless the Lord. Who excels in strength. Who do his word. Heeding the voice of his word. You know, angels, they go and they do God's word. At his very word, he commissions them to go and they do what, you know, bless the Lord. You, his angels. They're God's creation. They're mighty in power. They have the ability by God to be able to go and execute what he commissions them to do. To save. To protect. To, to faithfully execute the things of God. We see also in verse 21, again, bless the Lord, all ye his host. Now, some have thought that the host, because we see in Scripture, the host speak of the sun, the moon, and the stars. But others look at this verse as making reference to the saints of all time. It seems to make more sense to me that way because it goes on to say, you ministers of his who do his pleasure, which I believe speaks of all the faithful ministers both of old and new. He says, bless the Lord. Those of you who do his will, bless the Lord by using the gifts that God has given to you. Are you using the gifts that God has given to you? He's given to each one of you that is a child of God a gift or gifts for you to use, and you bless the Lord by using them. And if you're not using them, well, God says, I want, uh, use them. I've given them to you. And if you don't know what they are, then ask God, what's my gift? Bless the Lord by proclaiming the gospel telling people about Christ, being ministers of the gospel to this world. That blesses the Lord. You go out and you start telling somebody about the Lord. You think God's not blessed to see his children go out and open their mouth for him? 
Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Every time you minister, every time you serve, every time you do anything, it's, it's a blessing to the Lord. I believe that the faithful saints of all time are exhorted to do this. Bless the Lord. And then he says in verse 22, and we'll close with this, bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. All of his works, all of those things that God has given, all of these works, Lord, I want to bless you with them. And he finishes this psalm with bless the Lord, O my soul. I think that psalm, this particular psalm, if you find yourself this morning, as I started out, lacking zeal, if you find yourself this morning lacking that passion that you once had, this is a good time to say, Lord, revive me. And do you think God will do that? with repentive hearts before the Lord, God will do that. God will revive your soul. And you know what? And I just say, you know what? Get up tomorrow morning. Go today. Get up tomorrow morning. And once again, Lord, help me to worship you with my whole heart, with my life today and in my words and my, everything about me. And God will be blessed. I mean, what, what else can we give to the Lord? Think about it. You know, you, can you buy him off? Can you give him some money and do some things? You, know, you, you can't do anything other than to give your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is the most reasonable thing that you could ever do. Just give your life as a living sacrifice to God, and God will be blessed.